Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. My name is Nikki, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I'd like to thank Anchor, my major sponsor, for the January 22 conference that's uh, happening at the end of March. Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and sheet metal fabrication. Technology is part of Anchor's DNA. Anchor's growth over the past four decades has been driven by a series of innovations that have revolutionized the production of cutting tools and have impacted the whole of manufacturing. As a global leader in its field, Anchor designs and manufactures highly complex and accurate machinery that requires lasers, automation and robotics to achieve accuracies in microns. Partnering with customers to create bespoke solutions feels Anchor's industry-first technology. So it was with gratitude that I thank them for their support for the conference that is coming up. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you today to Roseanne Jessup, who's the Managing Director of Pools for Australia and New Zealand. Roseanne, thank you so much for joining me. It's so great to see you. Thanks, Nikki. I'm happy to be here and excited to chat to you for a little while. Oh, look, it's, uh, we're in the new year, so 2022, very excited about uh, all the things that are waiting for us. I was, of course, um, tripling all over your LinkedIn page and looking at your phenomenal career, and it's expand mining, food and beverage industry, and the energy sector. So what have been the highlights for you? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> As you can see, I've done quite a bit. <laughs> a little bit I, of like, everything. I, I like that little laugh afterwards. I'm waiting for it. Spill the beans. <laughs> yeah, look, I think that if I think about the, the bigger highlights, um, you know, my career has taken me all the way around the world. And so, you know, if, if people are thinking about heading into that STEM career space, you know, science, technology, engineering, I'm an engineer, um, um, mathematics, then, uh, and, and if you think that the world's a little small in Australia, well, I started out in New Zealand as, as an engineer, and, you know, since working in New Zealand, um, believe it or not, in neural networks, you know, so AI way back in the 90s, um, you know, that's then taken me to the United States, I've lived and worked there, I've traveled to Europe many times to work with customers in Europe, and uh, now I live in Australia. I moved to Australia in 2014, um, and but also have a lot of customers that I've, that I've worked with across Asia too. So um, a highlight for me, I think, has just been to get to know the world, experience the world, um, and and to do that while working is is a you know a, a, a fantastic opportunity if if you get that opportunity to do so. So so that's that's a I think a more a bigger highlight of my career. Um, more specifically, my favorite moments are always going to be when I've been involved in something that has a higher purpose. Um, you know, there's a stereotype that females go, go into engineering. A lot of females go into engineering because they do want to make a difference to the world. And, and I fulfill that <laughs> stereotype perfectly. Um, you know, if I'm going to make a career decision, it, it is going to be associated with, well, what's that job going to do for the planet? What is it going to do for people? Um, 
So I really enjoyed my time in the United States because I was working on coal-fired power stations and reducing the emissions in those coal-fired power stations, you know. So making sure that the Grand Canyon did not have a yellow haze of NOx floating through it from the power station that was that was upstream from the Grand Canyon, for example. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and then even today, I work for a company called Pills, as you, as you mentioned, and its mission is to keep people safe when working around machinery. So again, I think... Highlights for me are, um, you know, saving the planet, saving people, um, but having a, a wonderful experience at the same time by being exposed to these different countries and cultures along the way. Look, I think you've summed up your purpose in life and wherever you go, any of these motivational books, they go, what is your purpose? So I think you get up in the morning and you know what your purpose out there is. And I don't think I've heard a better ad for a woman to go into STEM from what you've just described, traveling the world, doing a job that you love and you enjoy. I, of course, yeah. always tell women that go into STEM because it's a very uh, rewarding financial career and you can make decisions because you've got you've got money, you know. I mean, money is not going to make you happy, but certainly it gives you the freedom to make decisions that you can control your destiny in a way. So it does. It does. Yeah. It so, does. have you? What have you been your challenges? And um, tell us how you've dealt with them. Obviously, you've touched on being a woman in in STEM. So, like, I'm assuming there must have been challenges around <laughs> that, but we don't necessarily have to focus on those. Uh, it's, it's interesting you've mentioned that one because. I haven't had as much of a challenge in that space. And, and I've often pondered that as to why I haven't had those barriers. I, th I think it probably stems from growing up on a farm. My parents were dairy farmers and there were two daughters. I'm the oldest. So therefore uh, myself, but also my, my uh, sister as well, you know, we really were the sons and daughters of the family. So we all had to be hands-on and out there working with farm machinery and, helping my, my parents with milking the cows. And, you know, so I think, so we, there was no obvious difference between boys and girls because we didn't have the brothers um, while, while being, while growing up. So I think, um, I think maybe ignorance was bliss there in a way in terms of not, just not really understanding that there was a difference or that there were barriers. Um, Perhaps also growing up in a you know small towns, small co-ed um, high schools. Again, you just it's just not there. You're, it's not talked about or thought about. And then um, I think if I carry on that ignorance is bliss theme, you know, when I went into engineering, I, I didn't go into engineering knowing that there would be very few females um, because I didn't know much about engineering. You know, I was the first generation to go to university. No one in yeah. my family knew what an engineer was and I didn't really know either. I just knew I was good at, at, at um, chemistry and, and, and maths and, and bio and, and, and all of those sort of STEM topics um, and, and got a recommendation that I should check it out. And it looked interesting. And, and uh, I lived near an oil refinery, the New Zealand oil refinery at the time. And so, you know, I saw those flash of you know, the blinking lights and stacks and it all looked kind of interesting to me. So um, I went in not knowing that there was this gender imbalance and I went into chemical engineering and, and half of our engineering class was female. So again, not exposed to the differences. Yeah. Uh, I then joined the New Zealand dairy industry um, at, at a time when they were recruiting sort of 20 plus graduates at a time and, and at least half of the graduates starting in each year were female, developed some great friendships with, with, with other women from around New Zealand all joining the industry at the same time. 
So again, didn't notice it. And, and to be honest, even moving to the US, um, I did not notice it. It's actually sadly only been since I've been working in Australia that I've noticed that lack of gender diversity, um, yeah. especially in the industrial automation sector, which is more that electrical automation field. I've sort of moved from process automation across to electrical, and there's a stark difference between the two. Um, so I, I do now have a lot more empathy towards those that would have grown up in this sector and, and would have had that exposure from the start. Um, you know, I've, I've helped cope with that, I guess, by um, making sure that I develop strong relationships with those females that I do come across, you know, be brave like yourself, Nikki, you know, I've met you now, you're now one of my best friends. Um, <laughs> I'm coming for dinner tonight, let me just introduce. <laughs> We've got to stick together, you know, you, you may not know anyone when you start, but, you, but yeah. you, we're few and far between, and so it actually kind of develops more enriching and closer um, friendships with those colleagues I think that's one of the advantages of it um, but I've also joined a group called Women on Boards as well um, and that links me with a lot of other professional women across a lot of different sectors um, but including engineering uh, so there'll always be you know five to ten of us at any particular face-to-face -face gathering um, we're all you know in leadership positions you know women on boards um, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a great way of sort of helping manage what might be a fairly isolated work existence in your own workplace by, by having, by joining these groups. Um, Look, I couldn't agree with you more than I, I actively encourage um, all women, like, and, and whether, I, I don't think there's a cutoff point, I think maybe when you're in high school, towards the end of your high school, that you actively start looking for mentors, and um, I, I think it, invaluable when women have that have been through different experiences can coach other women younger women older women it doesn't matter how to have responses ready when you throw in sentences that you go are you actually speaking to me like you know that you you've actually got a couple of stocks steady like you just know if someone if this is the this is what's going to come the script I'm ready for it I've got yeah. I've got and be prepared for it and don't be surprised about it and you know get all upset about it like we know what we're dealing with but you know be ready to to counter Mm, exactly exactly and be confident I think you know women um, traditionally lack of lot, lot of lot of confidence compared to men you know it's well known men only sort of need to know 50 to 60 percent of the details and, and they're an expert whereas we for some reason think we need to know you know 90 to 100 percent of the details before we're an expert and um or oh, no, have even a conversation then, yeah even there we'll, we'll doubt ourselves Look, I'm yes. Not quite... <laughs> yes yes and, and I think some of that confidence just comes with time but you know, yeah. I really hope that these that the younger generation of women ha ha have more confidence by seeing us role models talking with us role models uh, you know around um, around what they could be and and not to be shy and yeah. be confident and put yourself out there and uh, I think you also you know, get your yeah you get to um, I want to say at my age like I can you get to a certain age where you just go listen this is as good as it's going to get like I might as well just <laughs> relax about it now <laughs> exactly exactly well and I think I think um most importantly know that you don't need to know everything yeah you can google it wait let me just google it I'll ask my <laughs> yes, assistant I'll get yes. back to you <laughs> yes, yes so, exactly. So your role as Managing Director at Pools Australia New Zealand, it's a huge role with a lot of responsibilities. Tell us a little bit about the company and, and what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the company is Pills Industrial Automation. They're headquartered in Germany. 
Um, our main business and the way we started out was manufacturing industrial automation products. So electronic products for industry. Uh, anything from push buttons like emergency stops, for example, when you want to stop a machine, you'll press a button and it'll instantly stop that machine and keep it safe from someone to, uh, to sensors like light curtains when you walk close to a dangerous machine. Um, you'll have this light curtain barrier, these lasers effectively that you'll break the beam and it'll stop the, stop the machine from, um, again, stop the machine so it doesn't hurt someone if they move too close to it. And door switches, if you've got guards around machinery opening a door, so we'll, we'll, we, we manufacture those door, door switches to, again, stop that machine. Um, up to, you know, programmable logical controllers um, or PLCs, so that's what's automating and controlling and telling the machines and, and manufacturing lines what to do. Uh, and even we have edge devices, so that's collecting information um, from the machines, and that's really the industry 4.0 sort of side coming in uh, and then doing something with that data to make better decisions around, around safety or other, or other important areas like you know, productivity. So, so that's how we started out is as we're a manufacturing company headed in Germany that make high quality industrial automation products. Um, but we have manufacturing facilities, not just in Germany now, we also have some in Switzerland, we have some in, across in Asia too. Um, when we started out, we were purely industrial automation. Then when Renat Pills took over leading the company um, back in the sort of 70s, uh, she then steered us predominantly in the direction of safety. We were the first um, manufacturer and inventor of, the, of, of, of a safety relay. Um, and, and through that, you know, we've really developed our brand around, around safety. Um, and that's evolved to now not only producing high quality products, a lot of which have some element of safety associated with them, um, but now also teaching about industrial safety. So we have a large training portfolio um, and also we have safety consultants that go out into industry um, and perform risk assessments on, on, on machinery in, in industry. So, so we have a real mix of business, which is you know, something I really enjoy because it, it does create a lot of variety when we're not just a, a reseller of Pearls mm -hmm. products. Um, you know, we have a team that can go in there and assess the safety needs, understand what needs to be done with that production facility or line or machine or multi-sites. Um, we can you know, run training programs with that customer um, around you know, what, what, what needs to be done. We've then got a team that can then um, run the assessment and then do a safety design concept. Um, we can then do the remediation, which might mean upgrading the automation, adding some more e-stops, maybe adding some guarding. Um, and then we can do a post validation risk assessment too once it's all been done does it now meet the performance levels required to be safe so it's a we call that the full uh, safety life cycle yeah um, so, so if you're yeah so if you're if a company's um contacts you for say they've designed a uh, automation robotic um solution for a client mm -hmm. do you always get called in to come and assess it how does that work uh, it depends on what stage they're at um, so the earliest stage we would get involved would be in a design risk assessment, a DRA. So that's before the machine has even been built. Mm -hmm. So it might be a robotic cell 
where they've got some concept designs on how the robot's going to work. They'll have some, you know, operating procedures and maybe some draft operating procedures on, on how it's going to work, how people are going to interface with it. Um, and we'll perform a risk assessment on that to make sure that there are enough safety guards on that system to, to satisfy um, the level of safety required. And the level of safety required it depends on the risk it presents, you know. Are you going to nick a finger or are you going to potentially kill someone by the robot being large and swinging around and hitting them and hitting a person in the head, for example, or, or losing a limb? So depending on the severity of, of the risk will depend on the level of safety that needs to be put onto the machine. Um, so we'll do that right up front uh, design risk assessment. If someone's already built the machine, then we can. We are also op, uh, often then brought in at that point. So, say a, a manufacturer has bought off an OEM a machine, um, and then they go to put it on the line and and commission it. We might get a bit bought in at that point, at that late end, once it's on the line, and then perform a risk assessment. Then that's um, called a post validation after it's been been put into the into that production facility. Then we assess, you know, the environment, how it's being used, and make sure that the safeguards that have been put on that machine are up to scratch. Um, also, because of the evolving standards, um, there are there is just a lot of old machinery out there that has been used for a long time that may not have caused an incident yet, but it's just yeah. a matter of when. Uh, so again, that's a bit similar to a post-validation assessment. We will come into these sites and perform risk assessments across or everything that's on the site um i was about area. to say, yeah i was about to say that i think it's obvious that if it's still in the design phase and then it's obvious you'll come in there but you're talking about all the machinery now that's been ex in existence for quite a few years that mm. obviously then so what's the australian um legislation around safety and automation like oh, is this a murky question I can <laughs> well we have a one-day introduction <laughs> are, are you all listening out there you better go to this yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well no, no, uh, so yeah yeah joking aside um, but we do we, we do teach that so there is a one-day yeah. course that will introduce you to the legislation and um and and associated guidelines or australian standards um, with two days that's a bit more comprehensive but even that's sort of uh, you know that, that's a good introduction I think for anyone that wants to get their head around industrial safety or is responsible for it to make sure you're aware of of what you must do and what you should do um, you know it's it's not straightforward because there there are I guess three or four different elements to to work health and safety that you need to be aware of you know we, we have our act um, and it's not just one act because it depends on where you are. Western Australia has its own act. Uh, Victoria mm -hmm. has its own act and the rest are a harmonised act. Um, the rest of the states are a harmonised act. But, and they really describe, you know, what you must do. Um, but that's very much at, at a high level. You know, you, you must protect the health and safety of your workers. You must ensure that you consult and cooperate to address any issues in the workplace, right? You must promote information and education and training on, on health and safety. So they're, they're very sort of high level guidelines and don't really get into the specifics, but um, but somehow, you know, if an incident does happen and it happen and, and incidents are still occurring, you know, every day, um, you know, how can you demonstrate, you need to think as a company, how can you demonstrate that you 
have been achieving those higher level goals? How can you, you know, how have you educated your people? Um, how have you provided effective compliance and enforcement measures? Um, how have you delivered and, you know, continuous improvement and progressively higher standards of health and safety to your staff? Um, you know, so, so that's where you sort of come into that next layer of, of, um, of shoulds instead of mm -hmm. musts because um, there really are, are different layers there's a sort of must do around the the work health and safety acts and then there's these should do's which are these codes of practice you know which are you know tie into safe work australia and that's where the the australian standards um come into play and so we we teach a lot around the Australian standards because there are standards for robotics and agvs there are standards there's actually a standard for most common machinery um, and so it's understanding those standards and interpreting those standards um, and, and understanding what your obligation is with regards to those standards. Does this then fall under the HR section of a company? Say we're talking about a smallish engineering company, say 50 or 60 people working there, like who, whose responsibility is it in an organisation then to go, I'm responsible for the health and safety of the workers? Good practice would be there'd at least be there'd be a person doesn't have to be in HR but there'll be a person that is that the head of yeah. the health and of health and safety. It could be that it's a health and safety committee, um, but um, someone within the company certainly needs to feel that they are responsible. Um, they don't need to be the expert in machine safety. Yeah. Often the machine safety um is managed more at the stem level because it is it is a technical um challenge at the end of the day so you have to understand how the machinery is operating you have to be aware of the changes in the machinery you know if, if we've risk assessed a machinery or if they've they that company has risk assessed a piece of machinery and then something changes so someone changes the programming of the machinery and how it works or it gets moved to a different area of the plant and now there's people walking by that weren't walking by before for example or mm. you're now walking over top of it and you could fall in or you, you know what I mean like yeah. things things change um, which, by the way, is why, you know, general rule of thumb is that um, everything should be reassessed every 10 years or so to catch yeah. those changes. Um, but, you know, it, it really takes someone that's more technical, um, probably from a STEM background to to really take that lead on on machine safety, robotic safety. Um, most of our engineers, we're, we're nearly all engineers. Um, uh, well, every one of our safety consultants is an engineer and they are mostly electronic or mechatronic engineers because okay. um, not just about the physicalness of a machine in fact that's the easy thing to to assess is you know something's moving and it's moving yeah. at this speed and you can calculate you know how far away you you need to be for the machine to have stopped so that you can't walk in and still be hit while it's stopping you know that that, that, that those are actually fairly easy easy things to ascertain it's the more hidden dangers those energy um energy sources such as electrocution you know mm. wiring um is, is the wiring done safely etc those those are things we really you need you need someone that really knows um really knows that field to be able to feel confident that what they're doing is right the very small companies I mean that they 
obviously can just outsource to a company like ourselves to, to manage that for them. Yeah. Um, but some of the very big companies also do the same. You know, we work, work really closely with some large manufacturers here and, and uh, you know, we'll go through every single site, assess every single machine um, for them and, and come up with a prioritized list of, of remediation and, and then, then sometimes, you know, lead the remediation and validation at the end of it too. Many Look, I, I can't I'm just thinking if I had an engineering company this would be a no-brainer for me because you got your the safety of your your workforce is paramount and if you've got a yeah. um, a lax attitude towards that then already like your workers are looking at you and going like this is a cowboy environment that that's the most important is your, your, your safety speaking about like an incident every day like have you had examples of things where things have gone horribly wrong or is that just not it's not a good discussion <laughs> well it, it doesn't take you know if, if you if you look on a uh, safe work australia you'll you'll see the news articles and there's yeah you know there's, there's an industrial safety incident that's worth mentioning at least once a week um that the high profile one that has obviously accelerated the um the new um, legislation around workplace manslaughter was the Dreamworld incident. And, and that was a perfect yeah. example of, of being lax mm. and not, not um, satisfying legislation and, and um, more importantly, ignoring the guidelines that come out of the Australian standards. And it was really interesting to see that dream world incident, you know, that the, the coroner's report um, condemn the company and and basically state that, you know, that the minimum that company should have been doing is is following the Australian New Zealand standards yeah. on machine safety. Um, you know, that they're, they're described as sort of the should do's, not the mm. must do. So must do is the act, but you know, in, in the coroner's eyes, the, the 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 should do was was well that that's the minimum you should do is yeah. is you know look at the Australian New Zealand standards and and um and make sure that you are at least doing what's in there as guidelines so um that that's a great I think I think if all companies can take that mindset of understanding the standards if you don't know the standards get on a course to know the standards buy the standards read the standards they're actually not a hard read um and um and then and then ask the right people in your facilities you know are we doing this now you might not know but someone in your in your facility will know whether you're doing that or not so it's all about yeah, asking and, those right questions yeah and if it's all too much for you out there then contact Roseanne and she can uh, set you up for a training <laughs> course honestly like um you know how often you know they any death is sad but when it's an avoidable death you know then it's just like it's just a waste of life that's just infuriating Absolutely, um, absolutely. And, and although like deaths are less frequent, they still occur every year. Many, many deaths still occur mm -hmm. every year. Um, but with machinery, you know, it, it's just as life changing to lose a limb, lose a finger, lose a hand, lose an mm -hmm. arm, lose a leg. And, and that happens horrifically often. Yeah, it's, it's one, one second's not concentrating and it's done. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Yep. So you're board director at APMA, which is the Australian Packaging and Processing Machinery Association. So what do they do and what are they responsible for? Right. So the Australian Packaging and Processing Machinery Association, that's a big mouthful, isn't no, it? APMA. We'll just call it APMA now. Um, yeah. So it's been around for a while. It was established yeah. in, in 1983. 
And we're Australia's only association that represents the packaging and process machinery companies. Um, so we're also the proud owners of a uh, national expo called OzPAC. So yeah. this, this, that, that show has been occurring every two years um, and it brings together in, in one big expo all of the different machinery and process equipment that our local manufacturers um, make. Uh, and and, and there, are, there is a huge number of small, medium and large machinery um, manufacturers here in Australia. So great to get them all under one roof. Um, you know, you're then attracting in the, the end users, you know, the, the large manufacturers that are buying that equipment um, to that same event. So there's nothing else like it in, uh, in Australia. And, and we've, um, we're excitingly just launching a rebranding of OSPAC. Mm-hmm. So we will have our last OSPAC this year and we'll be moving to a new brand called uh, Apex. Australian mm-hmm. Processing and Packaging Expo, actually Australasian Processing mm-hmm. and Packaging Expo, um, where we want to grow that event to be more inclusive of the processing manufacturers. Um, we've really, to date, focused a lot on packaging, um, historically, and, the, and even the name OzPAC, you know, lends towards packaging OEMs. Um, but we're really, you know, excited to sort of I guess, embrace the process side. I'm a process engineer and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a big fan of, of ensuring that we have a more balanced and, and larger expo again that includes the uh, process manufacturing um, companies across Australia too. It also attracts a, an international presence as well um, of both, um, you know, people wanting to buy the machinery, but also manufacturers of machinery, as well as companies like Pearls and, and others that, you know, we, that automate um, yeah. that machinery too. We also um, participate in that expo. So, so Atma to date has been very much about that expo. Um, it's a member association. So each company holds a membership. It's not sort of an individual membership. Mm-hmm. It's by company membership. Um, so, but, but we're really looking forward to extending on that actually, you know, our, um, Atmos objective is that we've got to promote, integrate, and foster participation and and development at all levels, right, in the packaging and process machinery side of the industry. Um, So one of our challenges for our members is talent. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we want to, uh, as, as as the you know, member representation, um, ATMA really wants to focus on, on how we can help address that for our members. Um, so we'll be starting a new subcommittee this year that looks at education. You know, how can, how can ATMA as an association help attract and train up new talent for our company members? So that, that came out of the feedback from company members in terms of what ATMA could do to add value to those companies. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a great challenge for, for this year. You know, we're also, you know, run, wanting to run our last OzPAC this year while still in a pandemic is going to be a significant mm-hmm. challenge for us. Um, it's scheduled for May and, and uh, who knows what will happen between, between now and May. It's already has been delayed a year. Um, and that'll be a big deal for us if we're not able to run OzPAC this year with on the horizon, you know, converting over to this Apex. Um, 
we we all faced with challenges because um, uh, Rosanne is going to be a speaker at uh, Generate 22, which is uh, the robotics and AI conference that uh, I'm organising. And speaking of hoping that the virus will just just race through and be finished by March, not yep. <laughs> the whole world revolves around my conference. But um, <laughs> you know, you just go, oh please, can we just go to an end of this? But talking about talent and. Um, uh, this is, of course, the whole um, purpose of this, this conference that I'm organising is for our young engineers and people thinking of going into STEM to come and talk to people such as yourself, Bosch, um, IFM, Anchor, and all the people that are supporting yeah. this. Yeah. Um, you're obviously very passionate about this. Um, why do you think this is so important? I think it's really important because I, I, I um, sadly think that I'm not sure that there is a good awareness in our students of the opportunities, right? Um, it's not well understood, perhaps because a lot of these amazing companies that we have that manufacture these machines, manufacture these robots, they're, they're SMEs, they're small to medium-sized enterprises. You know, 80% um, of Australia's manufacturers are 50 employees or less. Mm. That's the size of these companies. So they don't have the budgets to, mm. and time and people to be able to engage with all of these schools and say, look at this opportunity um, that we have for you. Mm. Um, so it becomes a challenge also then for the students at high school level to know that those opportunities are even out there and that those opportunities are real and that they're great opportunities. And just because it's a small company doesn't mean you're not going to have a, a great you know, career and great experience within those small companies. Um, so it may look like a, a, a small field of, of opportunities as you come into, as you're coming to the end of high school and, and even as you're going through university, you know, you'll think of the Rio Tinto and the BHP if you're going into mining and maybe FMG, you, you know, you'll think of those mm. three companies. Um, and then you might think of a, a few large manufacturers around, you know, like, like the food and beverage bigger, for example. But then, you know, what about the Chobanis and, and the Meredith cheeses and these, these smaller, um, very, very innovative companies that are also manufacturing, you know, uh, food and beverage products? Um, you know, like, likewise, you know, could, could rattle off a, a million different very small um, companies that are, that are manufacturing machines you would never have heard of them. Mm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how the students would hear of them. So I think that's where you know, events like Generate 22 need to happen because somehow we need to access these students together, yeah. <laughs> not each company of, of 50, 50 employees or less, um, and, and, and have this voice that says, hey, look at this amazing opportunity. It, it may not be that you'll be working 40 years in one company, but you will have a wonderful career across many, many different companies adding value to this, to this industry um, or to industry as a whole. And, uh, and, and we need you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, um, you and I've had a um, off the podcast chat about how passionate we are about getting students um, exposed to the companies that are out there. And it, what you've said is absolutely right. How would they know these places exist? Mm. Um, you know, even people in the industry wouldn't know that these places exist because they're not. They haven't got the time to blow their own trumpet. They're running small no, companies. That's right. They need to. They've got day to day issues, and they just go, "Listen, I can't be bothered." So I'm. Um, 
hoping for all you um, small to medium enterprises listening to this, please, we need you to come and support Generate 22 so you can find your next engineer that's going to come mm. and work for you and uh, take your company um, progressively wherever to the next level or just you've got the staff to support your work then. Yeah, uh, I think so, Nikki. Um, we we need to show that there is this huge opportunity for a STEM career here. And if you don't get a job in Rio Tinto or you don't get a job yeah. in Vega, that's not the be all and end all. Okay, they are very large companies with big brands, but um, you know, we need to we need to somehow link, right, these mm. uh, these students to all of these other opportunities that are out there. And that's where I see the value in Generate 2022. Um, I see the value in, in ATMA, you know, these mm. associations that are representing these members. Um, these companies and a lot of them very small companies that's why they're a part of association they need the association right yeah um, and uh, and we need to then somehow facilitate this linkage between the students the graduates and 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 the industry yeah look it's it's a good thing that we're going to have um, some academics there as well professor elizabeth croft from monash university is going to be there they're going to be um other universities represented so i'm i'm really looking forward to some of the roundtable discussions uh that I've got you down for that as well, because you know it's um, people that are working in the industry. You know what challenges they're facing. Um, then we've got academics pushing these students out. And if where do you get the opportunity to sit and go? Listen, these are the issues we're facing. It takes one roundtable discussion for something simple to go. Oh, we didn't even know this, and to get it sorted out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bringing those minds together. It's exciting. Yeah, actually, uh, just let's all sit down and have a cup of tea and chat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, look, I've got kids that are now in, um, well, one's just going into year 12 and the other one's just coming into year 10. And, and at year 10, you know, 15, they are starting to limit their choices. Mm. Um, you know, they're starting to pick the subjects and the subjects end up, you know, taking them down a path. Um and so, you know, if we can solve that problem of, of, of a STEM shortage by addressing that at that year 10, a year 11 stage, yeah. so that's the universities engaging with the high schools, um, the industry engaging with the high schools, and then mapping that plan out, that path out for them um, at, a, at a younger age, I think that's that, that's where we've got to start and that's not easy there's a, there's a lot of schools you know how do you do that with, with yeah. the um with the schools look i think it, it takes a mass intervention it's from the department of education as well to go if if you mm -hmm. if the site the stem numbers in in um, australia we heading for an absolute crisis here i, I think um last figures that i checked were about ten thousand engineers qualify here in australia um it's not big enough to support the the technology no. space that we're heading into like automation mm. and any fields like we need people in technology mm. yeah so you've got a very strong ethos of giving back to the industry what do you think it's an important message for the kids out there what do you think they should be doing you know we can be doing what we're doing what is what is their they give or their responsibility yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think remain curious, ask, talk to adults, talk, use your network, talk to uncles and aunties and, you know, friends of the family and, and really, you know, understand, be brave, ask those questions, don't feel like, a, you know, any question is, is stupid because it's not, um, but sort of get out there and really 
really understand the possibilities. Um, you know, the, the challenge with that is that you end up with understanding that there's so much possibility out there. Yeah. Where do you even start? Um, and uh, my advice there is just start somewhere. <laughs> there's no yeah. wrong place to start if you've started. Um, but I really think, you know, they just, the students need to be curious. Uh, and, and, I, and I think, you know, go out there with some confidence that there are jobs here. There, we have a, a skills shortage. Um, you know, if you don't have a job, um, why? Why don't yeah. you have a job? Because we are in desperate need of, of more skilled uh, youth coming into our into our organisations. Uh, it's a topic that comes up in, in most business meetings I have, Nikki, yeah. is that talent shortage and talent pipeline. Now, listen, I agree with you, Roseanne. Like I, um, I, I speak to a lot of people across the board and I, I agree 100%. We, we are in a skill shortage and um, I don't know, like I still don't get that there isn't more, um, like more serious intervention. And in my apologies to anyone that's working in this space, if I don't know about it, that um, there is. But, you know, it just seems if we, if I'm hearing the recurring theme and message across the board, um, then, then where is it? Where has it been done? Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little bit scary, actually, because it just means Australia, um, our very talented people, of course, are going to be snapped up by overseas people because Australians are very popular, especially the bright ones. As soon yeah. as they, they recognise them, they whoops. And look, great that you go overseas and hopefully like a lot of Australians return back here and then they come and give back to the community here, which is what we all want. But that's right. Yeah, I don't think we can actually even afford the initial scooping up of our talent. No, no, and it and it's unnecessary, and it and it's great to I think get that start here and not start, you know, at, at ground level overseas either. Yeah. Um, so you, you're so much more valuable if at some point you do want to you know have that overseas experience. You're going to have a much better one um, if you've got a few years under your belt here and and have you know now you've got your networks here. So with the, so that when you do go overseas. Um, for a while and you may do and it may be in the company that's hired you here you know pills uh, you know we have a we have um, subsidiaries in 40 countries around the world so you may start in pills Australia or pills New Zealand and uh, and then you know you, you might be mo moved and 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 working in pills Singapore or, or at our yeah. headquarters in Germany so that's often the case with talent as they'll move um, around the world, especially if they're identified as, as strong leadership talent, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so, but if you start here, then, then your path home is really easy. Mm. Yeah. Too. You've developed no, those I, I agree with you. And you can come yeah, and they, yeah, they're also glad to see you again. I know they are. Of, I've interviewed a few people like this and they go, oh, people are so excited to see you back in the country. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Nikki. so, yeah. So, I, yeah start here it's a lot easier to start here you, you can still have the help of your your family and friends while you're starting out yeah um, and you need guidance you know it doesn't matter how bright you are it's daunting to start a, a career out yeah. there and you need you need advice and people 
people to help you. Yeah, you so do. any you any closing thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with? <laughs> well, number one, please come to Generate 22. <laughs> oh, thank you. Tell them. <laughs> no, I think what you're doing there is, is wonderful, Nikki. And I know you're you know doing that in your spare time. I'm not sure when that is, from midnight to 2 a.m. or something maybe. I don't um, talk about it last night. I was tossing and turning and going, I'm going, where is the sleep? I need yeah. my sleep. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I'll say this is why we need more women, because we care more about this bigger picture, I believe. So we have a lot more passion as that nurturer in us. You know, we really want to see young people come in and flourish, you know, in in, in these STEM roles. Um, We genuinely care. And that's why you've come up with Generate 2022. It's not um, it's not nothing to do with your business at all or no, money. It's, it's purely um, because you care. Yeah, that's why like I work for the Pills yeah. family. They have exactly that same um, yeah. those that same th- those same values. You know, that it's all about the customer value. It's nothing about shareholder value. You know, they yeah. don't take money from the company. They put all the money back into the company to invest new products. You know, they just got that wonderful ethical view of of um of how we should be giving back and looking yeah. after the people that that work work with us and and our customers that they buy from us so um i can actually think of nothing more fulfilling than taking a student and um we actually you and i both know of a case study where a young girl went and worked at a um, company and she's now an engineer and she's going to start working there i don't think there can yeah. be anything better than seeing that that you've gone you've nurtured someone through their journey you've helped them you've recognized their potential of course they've also given back they've worked hard they also have to bring their side of the bargain but um i I don't think there can be anything better than seeing something like that agreed agreed so if we do have any students that listen i'm not sure if you have many students that listen to this uh to this nikki but um you, you do now have me i'm on linkedin you can find me just log into linkedin there is only one roseanne jessup on linkedin um and you know if there's one thing we can do to help is is we know these companies right nikki so Mm. if you're interested in this field and you're maybe you're a year 10 that's that wants to have job experience in in manufacturing or at, at a robot a company that makes robots um or a company that automates these systems then just drop us a note because mm. we'll um, we know who we can link you with, um, and and as we mentioned before, there's there's just so many companies out there that are that are looking for people that are keen, young kids that are keen yeah. to join this industry. So, yeah, no, no, listen, I agree with you. Um, so you've got an invitation now. You've been you've been invited by Roseanne herself. So join on LinkedIn. Uh, can I put your email address out there, or is LinkedIn? Yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. I'll, I'll put your email address out as well. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait for the conference and and to hear your talk. But obviously, we'll be talking before that a lot. I know because I'm coming to dinner tonight. Could you mention? <laughs> you, you can't, Nikki. I, 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 I'm a, the pan, the pandemic's got hold of this household, and then uh, we're in ISO yeah, at yeah, the I, moment. Actually, I, I'll put it in my diary. I'll mark it off. Don't worry. I'll be there. <laughs> And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Please do um, connect with Roseanne on LinkedIn and give us some feedback. Uh, We always look forward to that and have a wonderful day wherever you are. Thanks, Roseanne. Thank you. Bye.